Once again, Law CPD, our fabulous sponsors, are offering a special offer to our listeners. The offer at the moment is buy one course and get one free. So if you've ever thought about giving Law CPD courses a go and doing a bit of after hours or even normal hours learning and development, then now is a really good opportunity to try some of the Law CPD courses. In order to get this offer, you need to use the discount code between now and the 31st of December this year. So you've got quite a bit of time to use it, a couple of months. And the discount code is JUGGLE11. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lilovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Joel Lilovich here. And Lucy Dickens. You're listening to the Juggle Podcast. So welcome back, um, or perhaps you might be a new listener, whichever. We're very happy to have you with us today. Did you know that across Australia, about 50% of all lawyers are women? Unfortunately, though, only about 25% of partner positions in law firms are actually held by women. If you're a long-time listener, then you probably know that Lucy and I are both lawyers, so we have quite a bit of an interest in these stats. And it's actually our experience in the profession, including the lack of gender equality in senior roles, which are some of the things that have led us to creating this podcast. And so that's why we're pretty super excited today to bring you an interview that we had with Her Honour Justice Jenny Hill, who was appointed to the Supreme Court of Western Australia in early 2019, only the ninth woman to be appointed to the Supreme Court of WA since it started in 1861. Isn't that amazing? 1861 and we're now in 2019 and she's only number nine. Exactly. (laughs) Crazy. Before being appointed to the Supreme Court, Justice Hill had developed a reputation as one of the best commercial litigators in the state, dealing with some of the most complicated litigation disputes in WA. As well as that, she's done a lot of work to promote gender diversity through participating in lots of organisations such as CEOs for Gender Equity, and she also led initiatives regarding flexible work at her previous employment. She has two children, one boy and one girl aged 16 and 13. I think I was a little starstruck during this interview. It's not every day that you're talking to a Supreme Court judge, especially me, because, you know, I don't work in an area of law that puts me in the Supreme Court. It's very, very rare that I end up in the Supreme Court. Yes. I think the only time I appeared in the Supreme Court was when I was admitted. Not sure that that counts. (laughs) I do my best to avoid having to be in in courts. Not my favorite thing. But yeah, I know what you mean though. It's easy to look at other accomplished women, especially someone who's the ninth woman to be appointed. It's easy to look at them and feel like they've kind of got it all together and maybe we haven't. Yeah. I mean, they're a mum and they've already had a successful career in private practice and now they're a Supreme Court judge. Like it's definitely not every day that people get to those positions and it's not every day that you get to meet or hear from them either. So, yeah, I guess it was okay that I could be a little bit starstruck. Um, (laughs) But Lucy and I wanted to have Justice Hill on and you will hear me. I was so embarrassed during the interview at one point because I had asked before the interview started about how we should address her during the interview because you're not supposed to just walk around calling people by their first names. And I didn't really necessarily feel it was okay to just be casual and call her Jenny. So I went with the accepted version, which is just to use the word judge. And then I slipped at one point 
and used Jenny and I, it threw me because I was like, oh no, (laughs) this isn't what I said I was going to do or what I meant to do. And she was fine with that. I mean, she had told us she was fine with it, but you know, still anyway. I did too, but yeah, that's okay. That's probably something that majority of our listeners wouldn't have even clocked onto because they're probably not lawyers. So yeah, <laughs> never mind. That was quite funny. All good. But anyway, we really believe that it's important to share stories of women at all different stages of their career, different ages of children, different professions, because everybody's challenge is unique and everybody's journey is unique. And it's nice to just hear lots of different perspectives. Yeah. And if you've got the idea that you might like to be a Supreme Court judge one day, then maybe you can, you know, take some tips. Enjoy. Welcome, Judge. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. The question we like to start off with all of our women who are doing this juggle is what time did you start your day? This morning at about quarter to six. I don't know. It sounds early, but it's not that early, really. With You get used to it, don't you? That's like a nice wake up time in my house. Yeah. And I think one of the things that completely changed when I had the kids is I changed from anything before six made me sometimes physically ill, but certainly made me feel like that. Whereas (laughs) now you look, unless I start my day at somewhere between quarter past five to quarter to six, you know, I just find it almost impossible to get to work by 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And I think that's one of the challenges is that half the time, by the time you get to work, you sort of feel like you've already done a good half day's work. And that's, you know, with my kids being significantly older now and, you know, let alone when they were little. Yes, it's funny. We love having people that have got different aged children on the show because the comment that's always made is that parenting is difficult because it's constantly changing. You know, just when you think you've got it nailed, they change, they get older or they have a different need and it makes it more difficult. I think one of the big changes is when they're little, like your gorgeous little boy, um, (laughs) is that it's often like physically tiring. You know, when Mm. you look at small babies and sort of toddlers that they're just physically so energetic all of the time. So you are running around all the time, you know, your greatest desire I remember at that stage was kind of to be given 15 minutes to have a cup of coffee hot Mm. the whole way through and you kind of recall fondly those times when you sort of took it for granted you know my kids are now um, 13 and my son is 16 uh, next week and it's completely different I mean it's more the fact that half the time you actually wish that they would talk to you um, because they're quite often in their bedrooms on devices and things of that nature but when they're older the wheels can fall off pretty rapidly and if you're not around to kind of notice it, then it can be much more difficult. And also you have the challenges associated with, you know, homework and uh, year 11 and 12 and the pressures of people kind of going, what are they going to do with their lives? And, you know, all of those things trying to navigate that as they're trying to sort of work out what their place in the world is. And I understand that through all of this juggle, you don't have any family support here in Western yeah, Australia right. on either yeah. side of yours or your husband's family. That's right. How did and do you arrange things in order to keep up the juggle with your careers and with your family without any extra support? I mean, we clearly have a lot of support. So I think one of the things that certainly made a huge difference is that we had a nanny who started with us when Lachlan was five months old when I was going back to work. And she only retired last year. So she was with us for uh, 15 years. And uh, she had a couple of periods off when her husband uh, was unwell, but otherwise she was sort of a real constant in our family. And then when the kids were really little, we had another sort of long-term nanny, Anna. And so Anna 
and painter sort of shared the nannying um, between them and and that makes a huge difference having that constancy and you know they we both are in touch with them we're actually having breakfast with Anna and her own family this weekend but you know those and she and Anna was sort of one was older and then Anna was um, sort of 19, 20 when we first met her and she kind of then introduced us to a whole range of babysitters and so we had that support. You know, one thing when your parents and in-laws are in different states is that whilst you don't have the, my kids are sick and can you come over, what you can do and I think, you know, they're much more prepared to do is to say, I have a trial on, Andrew is away can you come over and stay with us for two weeks? And then they're kind of basically there. And so, you know, particularly my father-in-law has always been prepared since the kids were very, very small to sort of come over for longer periods of time. And so, you know, in some ways that's actually can be easier than actually having people here. It's, you know, it's different, but, you know, it certainly can be really supportive. Yeah, it is different. It's like with my family, my mum takes care of my children while I'm at work. But because of that, I feel like I don't want to ask her for anything extra. So if I don't go and do any, you know, leisure activities, because I feel like she already does so much and I don't want to ask for anything more. So it's kind of the flip side of that, isn't it? To be able to get those big chunks of time. Yeah. And I think also there's a different thing. We were in the fortunate position where we could afford to pay for childcare. So we did a mix of nannies and childcare. And I think one advantage that can be with um, sort of a paid nanny is that they will enforce, I guess, the rules and decisions that you have without it being complicated by their own family relationship and their own relationship. And so it kind of then enables the grandparents to be grandparents as opposed to being sort of additional primary carers. And I think that that is quite a different relationship. During all of this time with the different types of stages of your career that you've been through, I understand that you've always worked full time. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So apart from two very short periods of time when I returned to work after each of my children, yes, I've always worked full time. So one of the things that I've come across is that particularly in law, but I think in any profession where you've got a woman who's choosing to work full time and to really pursue their career and who's clearly very good and very dedicated to their career, there's an assumption made that the family's taking second place by some of the people around. Is this something that you've run up against? And and if so, how did you deal with the judgments and things that were being made? It's an interesting question. I have to say one of the things that I find interesting is that actually the assumption that was made by most men is that I work part-time. And so even though I've actually never worked part-time, I used to constantly get asked, oh, so how many days are you working now and things of this nature, which I always found quite surprising. So I think there is an inherent assumption that most men make is that women with children work part-time. So that in itself is kind of an interesting aspect. I think as far as the judgments of other people, look, I don't recall too many judgments, but I'm not sure whether that's that people said and I just didn't listen 
and I've blocked it out or I actually didn't hear it. I think one of the things that I feel that I, you know, certainly very fortunate is my sister-in-law works full time. Both my um, mother and my mother-in-law went back to work when the kids started school and my close circle of friends, virtually all of us have always worked full time. And I think some of that is almost a deliberate choice to surround yourself with people who've made similar choices so that you don't get the unnecessary feedback. Certainly, I think there is judgment associated with it. And it's, it's interesting because I'm not sure that anyone provides men with that same feedback. I mean, That's I right. certainly have got a lot of, you know, I don't know how you do it or, yes. uh, you know, who's looking after the kids as if, you know, your response was going to be, oh my God, I left them at home <laughs> tied up with a glass of water, just like a dog. Um, but I think it is important to try to shut out some of that noise and just be confident about the choices that you're making. But in saying that, I think one of the things that I very much recognised is that it was easy to be able to make those choices when we had the same nanny who was with us for 14 years. She loves my children and my children love her. And I think had we had the much more common experience of sort of changing nannies every 12, 18 months, two years and having a variety of experiences, then I think it would have been much more challenging to be able to make the choices that we did. I had this exact conversation with my sister this morning. She's just had a situation where her husband and two daughters have all been sick and she's been left running the ship. And she commented about the, she's not normally described as a nanny, but effectively a nanny that she has who assists in the care of their children. And she said that if it wasn't for her and knowing that she loves her children the way she loves her own children, it would make it that much more difficult to continue to do what you do. Yes, I think it is absolutely critical. And similarly with childcare, like we always used a mix that was a deliberate choice and we always had very good childcare and the kids enjoyed their time. You know, some of, um, for both of them, actually, a couple of their good friends are friends that they've known since childcare days. And so I think, you know, aspects like that certainly make a difference when you have the choice to be able to work and the number of days that you do. Mm, absolutely. During some of the speeches that you've given recently, particularly upon your appointment to the Supreme Court, you've mentioned that your professional life hasn't always been smooth sailing, especially with respect to this work and family juggle. A lot of the women that I deal with in the professional space and, you know, throughout the time that I was choosing to have children, the question that kept coming up all the time was, well, when's the right time? You know, do I have my kids when I'm a senior associate or when I'm a partner or should I do it early in my career so it's out of the way? Was it something that was on your mind as well? The honest answer to that is no. Lachlan wasn't a planned pregnancy. And in fact, if you were planning it, then it would have been the worst plan imaginable. <laughs> um, I, and we say it's the best thing that ever happened to yeah. us. You know, I had Lachlan three weeks before I had a major trial starting. Right. And so from that work perspective, it wasn't great timing at mm. all. But in the end, it kind of worked out because, so, you know, like I dropped off witness statements on my way to hospital and <laughs> then um, sort of came back in when he was, I don't know, a week or 10 days to sort of help settle the reply statements. And then the trial ended up being part heard. And so then it was relisted for a time when I was 
back at work. So that was part of the reason that I went back full time when I did was Mm. that I then went back and went straight into the trial. I guess one of the things that that made me realise is that there's no right or wrong Mm. time to have children. And I think there's a degree to which you have to make your plans around what's best for you and your family and very personal decisions around, you know, your own reproductive health and and things of that nature. And most people's experience in the profession is that once you start having children, you will probably stay at the rank or level that you are Mm. at until your youngest is between one and two. And I think part of that is just a question of priorities, but also now going through the necessary hurdles that you have to. But the reality of um, certainly uh, professional services firms, or certainly the large firms, which is, I guess, my experience, is that most of the firms aren't promoting people to partnership until mid to late 30s, which if you're waiting to become partner before you have your children, there may be consequences for that decision that you wouldn't make. And so I think all of the female partners that I know would say, and it's certainly something that I agree with, is that you need to have your children when it's right for you to have your children, then your career to a certain extent can look after itself. I think the way to do that is to make sure that you hang in there and that you treat it as a long game and not just a short two to three year cycle. I think it's really hard when you come out of law school and particularly that first five to eight years to not get caught up in the, you know, who's getting promoted earlier and who's doing this. But if you plan to be in the profession for sort of 25, 40 years, then a year here and there is actually not going to make any difference at the end of the day. And I think it's sometimes really important to try to stay focused on that and not get caught up in some of those aspects. I love your honesty in that reply. And I love hearing that from you because like you say, it is easy to get caught up in that, but it's a reminder that we need to come back to what's important to us. And like you say, a year out of your career of what's effectively a lifetime isn't actually that much of a big deal. And if your priority is I would like to have children or or I want to spend time with my family or some version of that, if that means that your career is then slowed down a little bit, that doesn't actually have to be a bad thing. Yeah. And I think also partly tied to that is the comment that lots of people make, both men and women, is at the end of your career, you're not looking back and kind of going, I'm really glad that I took those 27 extra cases on. (laughs) You talk about the relationships that you've had with people, the overall enjoyment. And I think one of the things that's been really noticeable for me is that often men at the end of the career look back and sort of query some of the choices that they made around the time that they sacrificed with their family and wondering whether at the end of the day that was necessarily the right decision to make. And for me, I certainly feel that through the choices that I've made that there is no choice I would make differently. Mm. Now, it may be that my career looks slightly different to some of my male counterparts, but I certainly feel that they are choices that I've made and that I am absolutely happy with the choices that I have made. I think your career looks incredibly distinguished compared to some of your male (laughs) counterparts. (laughs) (laughs) When you list all of that out and we look at the demanding career that you have, it's clear that family is still such a fundamental part of your life and it's clear in your comments that you're encouraging people to remember the family and the relationships. 
How have you managed the boundaries around work and family? Look, I think the thing is that to a certain extent, there's no boundaries with either. And I like the idea that you talk about the juggle as opposed to balance, because I don't know that anyone actually feels balanced. I think there's just, you know, too many balls in the air and you just try not to crash, you know, have them all crashing down on top of your head. I think part of it is to be present. One of the things that was really important to me was that not long after I had my second child, there was a um, physiologist that came and spoke at the firm that I was then at. And one of the things that he spoke about was that there's no such thing as multitasking, it's just switch tasking. Mm -hmm. And he did this terrific exercise where he demonstrated that. And I laughed at the time because what you do is you write out A, B, C, D, F, G, et cetera, and then you write the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, and then you switch between them and you compare the time it takes to do both of the exercises. Unsurprising to me, I had the faster time of switching between the two of them. And I kind of laughed and said, well, this was because, you know, I was a female partner with two small children <laughs> and it was <laughs> completely not a surprise that I was pretty good at switch tasking. But what he spoke about was the importance to your um, mental health and also your, you know, just your yeah. general well-being. About whatever you are doing, make sure that you are engaged with it and you are a hundred percent, because you will actually end up doing both tasks better rather than trying to switch between them and then just ending up doing both things not so well. Mm. Now I don't say that I always stick to that but I try really hard so when I am with my kids and I'm doing things then I'm present with them mm. and when I am at work I'm present at work but they will just blend one into the other I've always done a lot of work from home particularly in the evenings we're fortunate enough to be able to be in a position where we have a dedicated study yes. and you know yeah. things of that nature make it an environment and the kids understand that that is what needs to be done. And I think it's also being really clear about the priorities. I mean, my two primary priorities are my family and my work. And sometimes it means that, you know, if you're in trial or things like that, then your social life does not exist. Mm. I have prioritised, you know, on the weekends, participating as a manager or coach or things of that of my um, children's sporting teams. Now that might mean that I don't go out on a Saturday night with friends, but that's the choice that I've decided to make. And so I think it's just understanding where your priorities lie and which are the ones that you can compromise on at this stage in order to fulfill your primary objectives. But certainly I feel very grateful to have been in an environment where we have mobile phones and technology, which means that I can work from any place. And because it doesn't matter where you are, what matters is what That's you're doing, right. not, yes. not whether it's done at 10 o'clock at night in the study or from the kids' sports carnival. Correct. There's a saying, and I'll probably get it wrong, but Joe will correct me. It's something like work, family, friends or something, and social maybe. Self. Yeah, okay. And it's like pick two because you can't have all of them. I'm not talking about your four burners thing, but when you say judge about having work and family, and so that means that sometimes your social life is non-existent, which in my words, not yours. I just read yep. between the lines. I mean, that's my story. <laughs> I don't have much of a social life. I can't leave the house at night because my children don't let me, but you know, whatever you just do, you have to choose your priorities, don't you? And know what is it is that's important to you. Yeah. And look, the only thing that I would say as an important part of that is self. You know, mm. that has to be a non-compromise. And I think, you know, what I have always done throughout my entire career is I kind of have 
two measures or two things that I do every week for myself. And they're just really simple things. So for me, I play competitive squash. I still do. I've played for many years. And my favourite thing on the weekend is to read the Weekend Australian. Like not necessarily all of it, but if I can get through the front section of the magazine, then that's good. Now, I judge my life and whether it's in control or out of control by whether I can do those two things. If I drop one, then it's getting a bit busy. If both go by the wind, go out, then I've actually got my balance wrong and I have to rework what I'm doing in order to get that back under control. Because I think unless you take care of yourself, you actually can't take care of your family and you will not be um, effective at work either. So that has to at least be an equal priority. I love that you have two markets and that, as you said, that they're relatively simple because so much of the content that you read about and hear about is look after yourself, make sure you meditate in the morning, make sure you exercise in the morning, make sure you're eating healthily, make sure. And there's this long, long list of all these things that you should do. And you just get to reading those lists and thinking, oh, it's all too hard. I'll just go back to sitting on the couch. Having a hot chocolate. and exactly. (laughs) A glass of wine and a block of dark chocolate. Who said that was wrong? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And look, part of that is also like, I think that when you have too long a list, actually you end up feeling that you're a failure. And I think that's one of the things that is actually really critical about this is to not be too hard on yourself. And I think when you set realistic targets on each of those aspects of your life, you can then feel good about yourself and not feel like, you know, you're a failure at everything. And so I think just having quite simple measures. I mean, for me, the advantage is that because I play competitive squash is that squash is a terrible game if you're not fit it's quite a good game if you are fit. So because I play squash, it means I then kind of exercise much more than that. And so it kind of becomes that this is how you continue to maintain that. So, but yeah, I agree. I look at those lists and kind of go, God, it just makes me look exhausted. And and also where am I going to fit that in my day when I'm already getting up at, you know, half past five, quarter to six and sort of collapsing into bed at sort of 10.30 going, oh my God, you know, I need to get to sleep because otherwise I'm not going to function tomorrow. Yeah. Then Mm. telling someone that you then need to somehow find time in your day (laughs) to do all of these things, I think just makes you kind of want to give up and cry. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Me too. (laughs) In preparing for this interview, there was a few women that we spoke to who've had the pleasure of working with you in their legal careers. And they had some amazing things to say. And and what kept coming through from all of them was the amount of support that you're putting behind women, particularly women in law, and generally women, gender equality generally, and people who want to have a career and a family. What are some of the initiatives and things that you've seen that have really worked in the organisations that you've been in and, and the things that have worked for those particular women? I think one of the first critical aspects which came out of the work that we did when I was at Norton Rose Fulbright was actually about the importance of sharing real stories. And so part of the reason that I've been really open about sort of saying, look, you see career histories and it all makes it sound like it was, you know, smooth sailing and then, you know, and in between these kind of amazing career things. I also popped out two children and, you know, we're a perfectly (laughs) happy family and isn't life fabulous. The feedback that we got when we did confidential surveys was that, and a lot of the reason that people gave that impression is because they wanted to give the impression to their male the male partnership that the female partners were under control and that Mm. they could do their job. And 
the feedback that we got was that the men were still worried about whether we were actually coping with our work. Mm -hmm. And then the feedback we got from the female senior associates and associates was that they felt like failures because our lives looked so in control. And so the fact that they didn't feel that their life was in control meant that they, it was them and not the experience. Yeah. And so what we realised, and this was pretty confronting feedback, I think, at the time, was that what we were trying to do helped no one. It wasn't actually giving the impression that we wanted to our male partners, but it was most importantly disempowering the women that were coming through. So a lot of this decided at the time was that we needed to share our honest experience so that people understood that it wasn't them, that it was a normal experience to sometimes drive home in tears and feel like you were terrible at your work, you were a terrible wife, terrible mother, and that, you know, why were you doing all these things when you were just really quite awful at all of them? And I think as part of that, it's to then talk to people about when they are going through those experiences is to say, this is a normal experience. And I know that your first reaction is to want to resign, but don't do that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what is causing stress for you in your life. And are there measures that we can put in place or that changes that you can make to what is going on in your life to actually get you through this bump in the road. So I think that firstly is a really fundamental one is to actually sit down and sort of um, speak to people. I think the second aspect was to realise that particularly when you're looking at flexible working is it's not one size fits all. So what one person needs in a particular year may not be something that, you know, you then put in place for five years because, you know, for example, and I know that I always talk about this, but kindergarten is the worst year of your life. <laughs> and, you know, the arrangements that you need for flexible working when your children are in childcare and doing five days a fortnight are quite different to what you might need in the first two or three years of their life when they're at long daycare yeah. or after that. And, you know, even now when my kids are quite capable of getting themselves home or, you know, can stay in the library till five o'clock, you know, there are very, very different things. And so I think part of it was also saying, look, it's a not one size fits all. The third aspect that I think is a really critical aspect is to not make assumptions about what people can or can't do based on the number of days that they are contracted to work. For example, if there is an instruction that comes in that is a high quality instruction that would be particularly suited for one of your employees that works flexibly, but it may require a commitment to work full time for a period of time, don't make an assumption that they can't go onto the role, ask them and allow them to make the choice as to what they want to do and to make it clear that that choice is theirs to make and it comes without judgment. So it's not a, I'm offering this to you and if you don't, that means you're not serious about your career. It's just saying, I'm giving you this opportunity because I think you can do it and you would be really good at it. This is what it will require. I don't expect you to give me an answer today. You've got a week to make a decision to see whether you can put arrangements in place and then we can look at what that that looks like. So I think there are a series of really important things that you can do in order to give people the opportunities that will help them progress their career 
And then, you know, sometimes it's really practical things. You know, when you come back from parental leave, what actually you'd really like to be on, if it's possible with the practice of the firm that you're at, is to go on something that is going to be going on for a long period of time, that there's no urgent or immediate deadlines that are going to be critical on the, you know, one or two days that people aren't in the office, that, you know, there's greater time because that actually enables people to firstly meet their billing targets, but secondly, to do so in a way that doesn't cause unnecessary stress at a really critical time of their lives. And so I think part of that is just looking at the workload and seeing whether it can be managed in order to provide people with those opportunities that coincide with their family responsibilities. Well, there was a lot in that. (laughs) There was some really, really good advice in there. There are two questions that I have, which are probably kind of related. And the first is, how do we get people to go from this, I'm okay, I can cope, I've got everything, I'm managing well, to the perhaps more honest answer of, you know, maybe I'm not coping at the moment or it is too much or I can't keep up the facade that I am doing okay. How do we change that? I mean, you did the survey and everyone said that they were coping, but perhaps they weren't. How do you get them to open up about that? Well, I, you know, in that case, it was a confidential survey. So I think sometimes actually doing confidential surveys and touch mm-hmm. points can be really important. The other thing is that you have to ask the right questions and you have to listen to the answer and check in that what you're hearing is what they're saying. Mm. Part of this is actually having the sufficient relationship with the staff that you have to kind of know when the signs are that things are not going that well and then trying to catch it ahead of time so that you don't get to the stage where if people aren't coping and they're not talking to people about it, they will resign almost inevitably. Yeah. And the second question I had is a lot of the advice that you proposed there is from an employer or a firm's perspective. They're things that they do or that they can control. And so my question is, what do you think are some of the key drivers of change at that level? Because obviously as women, men and working and parenting, we can only to some extent control what we do. We can't always control the people on the other side. Absolutely. Look, you know, all you can do is control yours. I think part of it is actually being having the courage to speak up and talk about what's working and not working. Sort of one of the examples that I gave at the Women Lawyers Conference a couple of weeks ago was sort of talking about when I had started it at Norton Rose Fulbright, sort of one of the partners would sort of routinely sort of drop by at about Mm. quarter to five every afternoon to have a bit of a chat and say, you know, about various matters. And I had to leave around that time to pick up my son from daycare. And initially, I didn't say anything because, you know, I'd only just started and you feel really rude to do this. And then I thought, I can't, I actually have to say something because by the time he would leave my office, I would then be late to pick him up. And that was really stressful. And then it was stressful for my son. Mm -hmm. But also, I didn't actually listen to anything that he was saying, because I was just thinking, focus on getting out. (laughs) Please stop talking. Um, I need to leave. So it kind of didn't actually meet anyone's objectives. So I think I was about two or three weeks in and, and he came into my office and I said, look, I actually need to leave to pick up my son from childcare. Can I call you from my car? And we can talk about the issue uh, while, you know, I'm going to have 20 minutes, 25 minutes while I'm in the car, as long as you don't need me to take notes, but I'm happy to talk through any issue. If you need me to take notes, can I give you a call, you know, once I'm home or after seven o'clock or something of that nature? And 
almost in the, invariably in my experience, the men that I've worked with haven't done this deliberately to kind of mm. test you out or anything. It's just that they haven't thought that this is your experience of that interaction. So they are generally, when you raise it with them, completely amenable to that if you propose a solution with it. So I yeah. think part of it is to kind of just not do a, like I've always tried to phrase this, not so much as I can't, but this is the way that I can do what you're asking me to do. Is that okay? That's the whole thing about flexibility. Yes. It's providing alternative ways to get the job done, to get the outcome that everybody wants. Some people are unfortunately still stuck in the mentality that perhaps you might, must have face-to-face meetings or people must be in a location from certain time to a certain time. And we're definitely moving beyond that. However, I still feel that there is still some discrimination around people who choose to work flexibly, unfortunately. And, yes, look, you know, I think most people would agree with that. But it's clearly what you did as well, because arguably a full-time job, especially in the law, is a little bit more than 38 hours a week. So making a choice (laughs) to leave at five o'clock in the afternoon is potentially for some people working flexibly because you're then leaving, dealing with family and then returning to work in the evening. Look, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I think was beneficial to me was the fact that our management were based in the East Coast and they couldn't really see the hours <laughs> I worked. And I think people um, often in the East Coast have actually have no idea what the time difference is. And yes. so there yes. wasn't so much this question, like it was just, if you know, if they rang early in the morning, well, you know, early in the morning, Perth time, were told that I wasn't here, they'd go, yeah, look, that's probably true. It might be <laughs> 7.30 or something as opposed to, you know, yeah. quarter to nine. <laughs> so there's just a degree that I think actually kind of the physical location of my management probably helped because then all they could see was output rather than kind of the hours that I did that. One of the things that I felt really happy about was that having spoken to a lot of my male partners, a number of their male M&A partners, when they had their children started leaving the work office at 5, 5.30 and then logging back on at 7. And I think that it's aspects like that is where you'll get real change. Mm. Now, the one question we like to ask, in fact, there's two questions we like to ask, but my favorite is the first one. So I'm going to steal that, Joe. And that is what words do you live by, whether there's a mantra? Look, yeah, I saw this question and I think it's a great question. I think part of that is I think it does actually depend on the stage that you're at. Mm. When my kids were little, I have to say that the mantra that I live by was hang in there yeah. or... Um, <laughs> to use the words from Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's just a degree to which you just need to hang in and keep on going. It will often feel quite overwhelming. You know, it's a question as to whether you're hanging onto a tree in a mildly current river where it's sort of all very balmy or sort of, you know, massive torrent and you're hanging on for dear life and you'll get all of those experiences in between Mm. that does change as I think you get through that kind of initial period and you can kind of concentrate much more on yourself and I think you know I was sort of slightly inspired by Ashley Barty at the Wimbledon and kind of incorporating our sayings from from movies so I've kind of had the just keep swimming and now I think I'm almost in the Cinderella stage of have courage and be kind yeah it's lovely And if you were going to give one piece of advice to mostly the women who are listening, but there are some male listeners, so they're professionals like us who are managing this juggle of career and family, what would that be? Uh, Don't be too hard on yourself. 
as women, we can be our own worst critics. We compare ourselves to the best stay-at-home mum. We yes. compare ourselves at work to the person who seems to work every hour, um, known to God or uh, being that you follow. In that comparison, we say we're not doing that and so we are really hard on ourselves. Mm. Adopting the wonderful phrase I heard on the weekend of, you know, good enough parenting (laughs) um, and then sort of just being realistic what about our KPIs are and making sure that we meet those Mm. and having that long frame in mind I think will be good. But, yeah, be kind to yourself. I love that. It's got hints of your um, having a plan and knowing your priorities in there as well, which I think Mm. is very important. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Thank you, Jenny. My great pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did. And enjoy the little visit that my son dropped in there, Xavier, because I'm not sure how much of that Diego cut out of the, the editing, our beautiful editor for us, but... My son did make a little visit and it was a little bit of a distraction. It's nice because it's normally my son who's making the noises and the distractions. <laughs> so it's nice to mix it up a bit, you know, but make it a family, a true family affair. Yeah, there's a difference between a, a baby versus a five-year-old. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> we carried on and we did fine. So that's all from us today. Don't forget that Law CPD was our sponsor for today and they have that amazing get one free offer when you purchase one of their courses there's more details about that offer in the show notes but just remember that the discount code is juggle 11 we'll see you next week happy juggling happy juggling happy juggling